I want to call your attention to the last chapter in the Bible. We are thinking about celebrating our 50th anniversary next Sunday. But I, any celebration can be a good thing if you're celebrating the right thing. And I want to read to you from the last book of the Bible, the last chapter in the Bible, and close to the very end of the Bible, the last few verses from the 16th verse of Revelation 22. John is only out of Patmos. He's writing the book of the Revelation. Uh, Patmos was like Alcatraz. He was in prison, but God was having him to write this book. And here's what he said in his last chapter. I, Jesus, have sent my angels to testify to you these things in the churches. I'm the root and the offspring of David, the bright morning star. And the spirit and the bride says, come. And let him that heareth say, come. And let him that is a thirst come. And whosoever will, let him take of the water of life freely. For I testify unto every man that heareth the words of the prophecy of this book, if any man shall add unto these things, God shall add unto him the plagues that are written in this book. And if any man shall take away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part out of the book of life and out of the holy city and from the things which are written in this book. He that testifieth these things saith, Surely I come quickly. Amen. Even so come, Lord Jesus. Now from Matthew chapter 11. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest unto your souls. Maybe I'm talking to somebody today that's troubled. You're certainly not at rest, you're anxious. You're confused. You're hurting. I want you to listen very closely for the next few minutes. As I was putting this message together, my mind went back to more than 50 years ago when I attended a funeral service in Galena Park, Texas, of a young man that was just a little younger than I at the time and was killed suddenly in a plane crash. I remember sitting in the First Baptist Church in Galena Park and listening to the pastor, and he read something that this young man had on his desk in his room at his house. I had never heard these words at that time, and I've heard them many times since. Here's what was on his desk. This life is brief and soon will be past, and only what's done for Christ will last. It's wonderful when you can have that on your desk when you're young. But you can get it in your heart even when you get older. If you come to realize how God wants to bless you and use your life and live through you. Have you ever entertained the thought that one day you will have an opportunity, if you make the right decisions here, to celebrate the coming and the death and the burial and the resurrection and the second coming of Jesus forever and forever and forever. Amen. You're talking about a celebration. It's going to be forever. You say, I love to party. You're going to love heaven. 
because it's one big eternal celebration. When the children of God get together and share all that they experienced in their generation because God gave his son Jesus to die on a cross. And you know what? The time is closer than you think. I want you to think about that with me this morning. Mark chapter 8 verse 36 says, What shall it profit a man if he gains the whole world and he loses his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? What we do today, we continue to focus on our pleasures, our possessions, our powers, our prestige, rather than our soul, our eternal soul. The normal response to those that are approached with the gospel, even if they just walk in and someone is preaching or they turn on the television or radio or they pick up on a conversation and somebody's talking about Jesus and they just sort of listen in, most of the time the response is later. At a more convenient season is what the man in the Bible says, then I will trust him. But that season sometimes never, ever comes. I'm going to ask you to do something right now. I've never done this before. I hope you got a bulletin. Every time you come in, I hope you get a bulletin. I, uh, they're in these boxes. But uh, if you didn't, I want you to watch the screen. I'm going to ask you to pray a prayer with me before I continue this service. I put it in the bulletin, but I don't want anybody to miss this prayer. Look to the screen. We'll keep our eyes open. And let's pray this out loud. Would you do that? Follow me. Are you ready? God, if you're there, and if the things I am seeing, singing, reading, and hearing are really true, please show me. If you will make it clear to me what you want me to do, I promise to respond to you accordingly. Amen. Father, I pray that you will know the intent of the heart as we prayed that prayer together. In Jesus' name, amen. I've got some questions I want to ask you, all of us. Some of these questions, you say, certainly, no question about it. Maybe the first one. The question is, is there really a God? Some believe there are. Some believe there's not. And you have a choice. You can believe either way. The question is, you, not what does a person beside you believe, but what do you believe? Is there a God? Whenever you read it in a book, watch it. Maybe an example like we just read, I just talked to you about that happened here last Sunday. And you look at that and say, look at those people. I wonder how much they're getting paid to do whatever they were doing. And, and, and that always comes up. But my question is, do you believe there's a God? Now, I want to ask you something. If you say, no, I don't believe there's a God. I want to ask you this question. Has there ever or has there been in your lifetime new evidence discovered that will refute the existence of God? 
anywhere, any place, any time, has there been any absolute evidence in your lifetime that anyone, believer or non-believer, has ever come up with proof that there is no God? Ever. The answer to that is no. God has made himself so evident. You can debate it, study it, and come up with your theories, but he is He's the I am, he was, he is, and he will forever be. He is the great I am. Listen to the scripture in Psalms chapter 8, verse 1. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all of the earth, who has set your glory above the heavens, out of the mouth of babies and sucklings have you ordained strength because of your enemies, that you might... Still the enemy and the avenger. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained, what is man that you're mindful of him? And the son of man that you visit him, for you have made him a little lower than the angels and have crowned him with glory and honor. You made him to have dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, yea, and the beast of the field, the fowls of the air, the fish of the sea, and whatsoever passes through the paths of the seas. O oh Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all of the earth. Amen. The psalmist David wrote that thousands of years ago. It holds true today. God is love. God is the I am. No evidence of any type that would prove that there is no God. So we, by faith, believe there is. The evidence would indicate it. But let's go on. There's a difference in saying there is no God and proving there is no God. I can take you to hundreds of thousands of people and tell you they don't believe in God. You know what? That doesn't change his existence one iota. Your question ought to be, when somebody tells you that, where is the proof? Ma'am, where's the proof, sir? Can you prove to me that there is? No, I can't, but you can't prove there is. Well, I can sure show you a lot of evidence. I can show you evidence that children can understand. This book opens with, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. You know what? Anything that has a beginning has a cause. Think about that. If it has a beginning, it has a cause. Somebody started it. You can't have a beginning without a cause that made the beginning start. And so when you deal with that kind of question, you need to think about, let me ask you and, and, and illustrate it this way. If you went to a doctor and you had a tumor, that doctor says to you, well, that's a tumor. Sure is. Well, why? Is it there? The doctor says, I, 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 just, uh, I just don't know. There's just no cause for it. I got a tumor, and there's no cause for it. See you later, doctor. I'm going to go see another doctor. Something caused the tumor. And if you don't know, I'm going to find out who does. Well, I believe that the heavens declare the glory of God. There's enough evidence out there. Now, I want to know the cause. What happened? In the beginning, 
God. No physicist or scientist knows the cause of creation unless they know Jesus Christ. I don't care how brilliant they are and how much they've searched, they have never written a book with the evidence that there is no God. Why? Because God is seeing to it that everybody knows one fact. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, Christians, we use the word miracle when we talk about how the world's created. Now, the scientists, they've got an intellectual word. They call it Big Bang. <laughs> Got it real quickly. It makes you think, boy, I'm, I need a four years of education to get that out. I've learned the word, world was formed by Big Bang. Well, I choose to believe in miracles. Here's what David said again, Psalm, one, uh, Psalm 19, 1. The heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament his handiwork. Go outside. Take a drive down Texas highways. Genesis 1-1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, is there a God? Well, obviously, next question, is there a Bible? Well, certainly there is. Well, can it be trusted? Can the Bible be trusted? Well, it might help you to know that 8 billion of them are in print. 8 billion of these are in print. Last year, 100 million Bibles were printed around the world in different languages. Wow, that sure is a lot of books selling if it's not true. People are really interested. The Bible tells us about God. The Bible tells us about his purposes. The Bible tells us who he is, how we can come to know him. The Bible tells us how we can have victory over everything that comes against us in this life. It is all there. His purpose and his promises, it's all there in God's holy word. Inspired, inerrant, and infallible. God's holy word. Isaiah 48, the grass withers, the flowers will fade away, but the word of God will live forever. Will live forever. Even people that do not believe the Bible and die without Christ, when they stand at the great white throne judgment to give a reason to God the Father why they rejected his son who came and died on the cross, you'll have an opportunity then to see if the Bible was true or not. And you're going to find out that it was. 2 Timothy 3.16, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. It is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, and for instructions in righteousness. Well, why? And I've had this question answered to me. Why should I believe the Bible when there are so many other books that claim to be inspired? And there are. There's a whole lot of them. The Book of the Mormon, the Watchtower, the writers of Mary Baker Eddy, the writings of all kinds of religions. People say it's inspired, it's inspired, it's inspired. Book of the Mormons, it's inspired. I mean, we hear that all the time. All of the time. So why should I believe the Bible? Can I give you a few things real quickly? Number one, it's consistent. It's consistent. It is consistent. It doesn't say one thing in chapter one and something else in the first book of the Bible and something else in the last book of the Bible. Number two, it's historically reliable. It is historically reliable. Do you know the textual authority of, of writing your Bible? Just the New Testament. 5,700 Greek manuscripts are available, more than that, and were used in translating 
our English Bible. 5,700 in Greek. And in the other languages of the world, 20,000 more manuscripts. Old manuscripts were all brought together to complement each other as to the authenticity of the writing of the Holy Word of God. Archaeological discoveries all the time are coming up with new evidence that the history in the Bible is exactly what they're digging up now thousands of years later. And maybe right on top of the list is the fact of the fulfilled prophecies of the Bible that have already taken place. All of the Christmas story was told many years before it ever happened in great detail. No other religious book ever did that. Hebrews 4.12 says, For the word of God is quick, powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. And John 10.27 says, my sheep hear my voice, I know them, and they follow me. Yeah. Let me tell you another thing that's different. The Bible changes lives. If you're a born-again Christian, you're evidence of that. These other books don't change lives. They don't make a new creature. They don't turn people from hate to love. Some of them turn people from love to hate. But the Bible, there's power in it. And I, I can just give you the absolute evidence, and people have heard me preach for years, have heard me say this over and over again, but this is the only book that is feared by all other religions of the world, this one. Nobody fears any of the other writings because the power is on this book, and this is the one that comes up in the religious discussion about can this be put in the schools, can this be put here, can this be put there, can this be written in the courthouse. It's this book, not any of the others, and rightfully so, because there is power in this world. My people read those Ten Commandments. God forbid they might start obeying them. Whoa, wouldn't that just ruin a country? You say, I don't know what you're talking about. Let's talk later. There's only 10 of them. Okay. But there's spiritual power here to change lives. I'm talking to people today. Some of you, when you got saved, you didn't know but three verses. All of sin and come short of the glory of God. You know, none are righteous, no, not one. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. And for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's all the Bible you knew. You knew new Greek, you knew no Greek, no Hebrew, a little bit of English, and you gave your heart to Jesus. And you haven't been the same from that day forward. That's what we're talking about. I'm going to read you something. If you don't know the Bible, I'm going to read you something. And I want you, as soon as you, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but when you figure out who I'm reading about, I want you to, maybe you can just go like this, okay? Are you ready? I'm going to Isaiah chapter 53. I'm going to start with verse 3. He is despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And, and we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we did not esteem him. Surely he has borne our griefs. He's carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and by his stripes were healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him 
the iniquity of us all. Who are they talking about? What? Jesus. What I just read to you was written 700 years before Jesus Christ ever came to this earth. And I read you every detail that was written 700 years before Jesus was born in Bethlehem. And that just happened? I don't think so. I don't think so. You see, the Bible describes the future as if it were the past. Think about that. The Bible describes the future with the accuracy that historians describe the past or attempt to describe the past. You ready for this one? 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 16. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then, when, then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together in the cloud to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. That's a prophecy about who? Jesus. The book that wrote the first prophecy has written the second one. Jesus is coming again. And the accuracy of the scripture will again be fulfilled when the shout comes out of heaven. And if you say, I'm looking for his coming, you can just keep praying with your eyes closed and listen because the trumpet will sound first. That's the time to open your eyes and look up for the time is drawing near. Jesus is coming again. God is a loving God, but he's a holy God. Do you understand that, folks? Yes, he loves you, but he's holy. And he says, be holy to you and me like he is holy. We've chosen our own path. We've chosen our own itineraries. This week, a promising professional basketball player in our own state entered a home unwelcome, and was shot to death. Career gone. Potential multi-multi-multi-millionaire gone. We are opening our papers today to my alma mater. And on the front page of the Chronicle is the story of my alma mater. The warnings have been coming, but now judgment has fallen. It's not good. It's not good. We've sinned. We've come short of the glory of God. People are wading through the water at the city of Houston right now for the third time in the last few weeks. You go over there and talk to some of them and if they think and ask them, were you expecting this? Is this something y'all experience every year? No. The weather is telling us there'll be more hurricanes this year than ever. I mean, nothing bad news, bad news. I'm not trying to get, get you where you get all shook up, okay? Because if you know who holds tomorrow and knows he holds your hand, you're okay, all right? So just cool it. <laughs> Don't panic. But I just want you to know, folks, when God says it, you better listen. I just want you to know God's word and God's prophecies are always fulfilled. We've chosen our own paths. Violence, immoral behavior, riots, murders, drug abuse, worldwide sex trade, 
government corruption, tax evasion, Christian schools having problems, abuse even the, the, among the, the clergy, and abuse of our bodies, our physical bodies, is astronomical. 2,000 years ago, Timothy heard, read in a letter from a man named Paul, an older man, to a younger man. 2 Timothy 3, 2. In the last days, talking about, for men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affections, truth breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof. That was written, folks, 2,000 years ago. Did I read anything there that you would agree with me and say, you know, it looks like that's happening right now. I'm not sure, but I think it could be. It kind of looks like. You know, if you see something that looks like a duck, walks like a duck, quacks like a duck, you deduct that it is a duck, okay? Now, when you see something in the Bible that looks like the news today, it looks like everything that's going on in our world today, you might come to the conclusion it might be true. That day is here. We are dealing with this hour by hour. But you know what we like to do? We like to take our best attributes and compare them to other people's sins and accumulate enough satisfaction to make it through another day. In other words, I'm going to take my best day, compare it to your worst day, and decide, God, before you get me, you're going to get them. And I feel very comfortable in that. Now, when you get them, I'm going to start looking at this again. But right now, I know that I, I come to church more than they do. I'm more faithful than they do. I do this and that, so I guess I'm fine. No, God doesn't grade on the curve. He says, either you're for me or you are against me. You don't know God, and I don't know God until I compare God to me and you compare God to you. Now, how do you stack up? If we ever quit comparing ourselves to each other and start comparing ourselves to God, we'll have revival. We'll have a personal revival, and we'll have a church revival, and we'll have a national revival, and we might have a worldwide revival. But we just love to look at each other. We just seem to act like, no, this is all there is. You know, when you have pride, you look down. When you have faith, you look up. Maybe we need to quit looking down and start looking up. We brag about what we don't do and ignore what we refuse to do. I bet you've never applied this scripture to that idea that when we brag about what we do and ignore what we don't do, Matthew 22, 37, Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. So can we all agree with this? There's none righteous, no, not one. Romans 3, 10. Can we all agree with Romans 3, 23? For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. If all of your lists are what you don't do and there's nothing there that you do, you need to look closer at the Scripture. You need to study to show yourself to prove unto God a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. The reason I read you the letter a while ago 
of the family that we helped last week. Those people that did that, they may have Sundays and Sundays and Sundays of boredom and all of a sudden they're the most important thing around. The first day this church was open, we had a, a, a wonderful couple here, just joined Sagemont. The man had a heart attack sitting right over here. Nobody knew it but the people that are watching you right now on camera. If you go to sleep, there's a camera coming right in on you. We're trying to decide whether you're asleep or dead, okay? <laughs> just want you to know that. But even his wife did not know he was having a heart attack. And by the grace of God and the volunteers that are dozens working behind the scenes right now, the life was saved. That's what Christians are all about. We're not to go around bashing people. We're to lift them up. But you know, before you can heal somebody, they got to admit they're sick. And as long as they think I'm fine, I don't need the medication. I'll do without it. I'll just do my own thing. I'm a man's man. I'm not going to rely on other people. You're in serious trouble. But when you come to that point to when you let go and let God, good things begin to happen. Could I just say something to you in a little different way today? God does not set the standard for us. He doesn't come to, hey, John, this is your standard. This is where I want you. He is the standard. He doesn't set the standard. He is the standard. He doesn't come and give you a bunch of do's and don'ts. He says, follow me, follow me, and I will show you what I want you to do. See, that's the way it is. You don't get confused until you start following people. And when somebody you admire falls, you use that for an excuse to reject God and spend an eternity away from God. You don't want to get caught in that trap. There's none righteous, no, not one. God is the standard, and God is absolute holiness. God never comes back to say, I apologize. I wasn't very holy to you yesterday. And I apologize for that. I was having a bad day. Satan had caused a lot of stuff. You know, I, I won't go into it. The Lord be saying to you, but no, 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 no. He was holy yesterday, he's holy today, and he's going to be holy tomorrow. And he's going to be holy when we stand before him in eternity. But many people today believe the way to heaven is to slowly reform the way you're living. Wrong. Wrong. Because by moving away from your past rebellion does not save you. It's by his stripes that we're healed. If you went to your creditors today and you owed them a large amount of money, let's say it's $100,000, and you told them you're not going to worry about your past debt, that you went to Sagemont Sunday and you had a change in your life, and you were born again, old things passed away and all things become new. <laughs> and I just want you, my creditor, to know that from this point forward, and I do need another 20000 but from this point forward, I will return to you 100 cents on the dollar. How many of you would make that loan? How many of you would believe that person? I don't think very many of you would do that, but that's the way a lot of religious people negotiate with God. Exactly the way they negotiate. I'm not going to take care of all this past. You think I'm going to get born again? I'm going to confess my sins. I'm going to be baptized in obedience, cure, command. You're crazy, but I tell you what, from here on, I'm just going to be your little angel in Houston. 
I'm just going to be so loving. I'm going to serve everybody. I'm going to start giving. I'm going to start attending. I'll go on and on and on. Folks, without the shedding of blood, there's no remission for sin. You got to put the past under the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't try to negotiate with God. He's a terrible negotiator. You say, I had a friend, and and I tell you, you he's just not even reasonable. He always wants his way. I can tell you one that's better that wants his way. He is the way. That's the reason it's his way, because he is the way. But the church today exists to help people restore their relationship with God. For the fallen to come to salvation. For those that have walked with the Lord but have fallen, uh, wounded along the battlefield against Satan, to pick them up and to carry them and to help them to be restored unto their spiritual health. God wants us continually celebrating new life. New life. That's the reason salvation is so important in a church. That you see people being born again and becoming new creations As you read the Sagemont Life magazine of all the testimonies that are in this month's edition, and you're going to see so many in the the book, you're going to see they point back to their childhood, back to vacation Bible schools 40 years ago. It was there I met Jesus, and then came a call to preach or whatever it might be. But that is the way God works our lives. But here's what Ecclesiastes 3.15 says. God will call the past to account. That's what it says. You've got to take care of this in the past. You've got to repent from it, but you've got to have somebody pay for it. And that's where Jesus comes in. Romans 5.10 says, if, if, for if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. You say, well, you know, that's just not the way I live my life. I don't know if you've ever traveled over to Britain, but if you've gone over there, catch a cab. Because if you're from America and you go over there, they drive on the wrong side of the road. Now, they think they're right. We think they're wrong. A lot of you are are right now driving on the wrong side of the road. Making good time, though, aren't you? Just going the wrong way. You know what the Bible says? Except you repent, you're going to perish. It's not the American way, the British way. It's God's way or your way. And you have a chance to make a choice. We're all on the same side of the road, folks. We're born going the wrong way. And that's the reason we need to repent. If we're going to go to heaven with him, we've got to do it his way. Let me close with just a couple of questions real quickly. Do you think Jesus was confused when he came to earth? And what he had to do to accomplish God's, the Father's plan for his life. You think he's confused? Let me answer that for you very quick. No, sir. He said, I've come to do the will of the Father. Not my will, but thine be done. No question about it. Father, into thy hands I commend thy spirit. Matthew 22 and 46. No man was able to answer him a word. Neither did any man from that day forth ask him any more questions. That was when he was 12 years old. He had come. He was away from his family in that temple. The doctors, lawyers were talking to him. Mom and dad were upset. His mother and Joseph were upset, and they came looking for him. He said, I have to do the will of my father that sent me. In Luke 2, 47, all who heard were astonished at his understanding and his answers. He made it very clear, I've come to do the will of the father. So have you. Do you think Jesus would deceive you? 
another question I want to close with. False teachers are deceivers. False teachers that tell you things that benefit them and damn you to eternal separation from God. They're not your friends, and they certainly are not your brothers. Matthew 26, 59 says, The chief priests and the elders and all the council sought false witnesses against Jesus to put him to death. We see all kinds of things today going on that indicate that this world is on the, on the front line of the battle between heaven and hell, good and evil, God's way or the world's way. Why do you think Jesus came? Why? Could I give it to you real quickly? For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son in order that whosoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. You want to celebrate? How would you like to start today celebrating? Get a week start. Well, I told you come early next week, and you better listen to what Brother Bill said. You better be early next week and not come down Hughes Road either, okay? <laughs> but just think about it for a moment. What would happen if today you started celebrating for eternity? What if you put the past behind you? What if you got ready? You're going to see people come in here from everywhere next week that have gone literally to the uttermost part of the world, but God saved them one day when they stopped right here in this place and they gave their heart to Jesus Christ and they've never been the same again. They're going to be coming back, some of them many miles, to celebrate what a wonderful change in my life was wrought when Jesus came into my heart on that five and a half acres out in the southeast side of Houston. They came and their life was changed and not one of them regrets that moment. They just wish they'd have done it earlier. Luke 19.10 says, The Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. That's his personal mission statement. What's yours? Got it? Jesus' personal mission statement. I've come to seek and to save those which are lost. Are you lost? He's looking for you. His, his eyes go to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong if he could find you. Quit hiding from him. Get ready to celebrate, not just next Sunday, but all of eternity. Would you do that?